I'm Monica Johnson with Marshall Weber, and this is Brooklyn Calling. All right, welcome to our show where we talk about artists, libraries, and social justice. Uh, Marshall and I are both artists and we head up Brooklyn Inc., an arts nonprofit located in Brooklyn, New York on the unceded land of the Muncie Lenape people. Uh, we created Brooklyn Calling to amplify voices in the artist book field and to explore art making as a tool for com community engagement and social change. And that is why today our guest is the Queer Ecology Hanky Project, which is a traveling exhibition and project that includes 116 artist bandanas from across North America. It's organized by Vanessa Adams and Mary Tremonte, who are both artists based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and who are both here today. Hi, Mary. Hi, Vanessa. Hi. Hello. So good to be here. <laughs> this is Mary using some she, her pronouns over here. Hi, this is Vanessa, and I use the them pronouns. Could you just identify what queer ecology means to the both of you? Awesome. <laughs> um, I guess I can take a stab at it first, and then Mary, you can chime in, because I'm sure you'll have things to say. But um, the Queer Ecology Hanky Project builds on the legacy of the Hanky Code. So uh, in the 1970s in San Francisco, gay men uh, used bandanas to flag sexual desires and preferences um, out in public. It was a way to kind of be like, this is my taste, this is my desire, this is what I want. But in a discreet way that only other people who were involved in the subculture would know. And the Hanky Code has spread super far and wide and has been adapted by many artists. Um, but we were excited to put our own kind of spin on it with the Queer Ecology Hanky Project and expand outward beyond the human sphere to think about a larger group of community, like community with plants, community with fungi, like a much broader. Um, intersecting community to think about as a way of thinking about other queer desires, non-binary desires, trans identities, um, and sort of meld um, the human and the non-human and bring into the fold this idea of queer ecology. Mary, do yes. you have thoughts to add to that? <laughs> I have so many thoughts, but that, yes, I, I second what Vanessa said. Um, Vanessa and I had been thinking about having a bandana art show for a while, and then we were out collecting chanterelles one summer about three years ago, <laughs> um, you know, and like the mycelium moving underground, the idea just, just emerged and sprouted to, um, to make the bandana hanky art show um, on the theme of queer ecology, which is um, at the intersection of queer theory and ecology and um, yeah, really moving beyond, beyond even binaries of human, non-human um, and yeah, looking at intersections of those ideas. And also, you know, both with both Vanessa and I being printmakers, thinking about printmaking culture and artist multiple culture and, um, you know, how ideas and objects can travel when they're made in multiple um, and exist in more than one place at a time. 
and how bandanas, hankies are artwork intended for activation. You know, they're meant to be like worn on the body and like used out in the world, um, not just hung on the wall of a gallery. I've been really thinking about the meat of what queer ecologies is. And um, I think you can kind of first look at ecologies, which is sort of actually a new, I mean, relatively speaking, scientific field. Um, because it was sort of like represented a shift in science from looking at specific organisms to looking at organisms in the context of community. And I was thinking about how that's such an important part of queer ecology, because we're like really looking at those relationships, we're looking at community, we're looking at um, connections and symbiosis. Um, and the queerness is bringing in both sexuality, but also looking at, you know, things that are unusual or other um, and like shifting frameworks from normative frameworks. So I think queer ecology um, is invested in disrupting gender binaries, but also um, colonialism, like sort of disrupting white settler colonialism, uh, capitalism, and a lot of the ways that artists sort of approached this project would be diving into an organism like slime mold or an organism like... Um, mating pairs of birds and using that to kind of reflect back on uh yeah queering these sort of societal norms so hopefully that made sense <laughs> yeah and this is reminding me Vanessa I just want to give a shout out to uh, Bruce Bagamel's book Biological Exuberance Animal Homosexuality yes. and Natural Diversity um, which has been a huge inspo for for myself and my work and I know Vanessa and many many other uh queer artists um as like a book that really like um, kind of explodes some of those like interpretations of behavior, of observed behavior. You know, if you're looking at, um, you know, two bonobos who are like having sex, you know, and cuddling each other and they're the same sex, um, you know, if you look at it through a heteronormative lens or like a Darwinian lens, you're like, oh, you know, that's just their way of like showing power. Um, if you're looking at it through a queerer lens, you can be more like, oh, this is like a mutualism and a way of communicating and being in community. Um, so Bagamil's book, it's just its profiles of like over over 100 different um, mammals and bird species. And just looking at very specific uh, homosexual and homosocial behaviors that has been observed at those animals um, for many, many, many years, um, many of them. Um, but looking at it through a lens that's not heteronormative. Um, so the interpretation is this new layer. I wanted to note that that was one of um, my aha moments when I was reading the recent, the most recent book that you two created, which I'm just going to name check right now. It's called Exuberant Possibilities, Queer Ecology, Hanky Project. It's a fantastic book. You can find it if you Google it you can find it at Bookland. But the, the title of the Bruce Bagamel's book was Biological Exuberance, Animal Homosexuality, and Natural Diversity, for anybody who wants to look that up. And that was my aha moment because I'm like, oh, that's where the exuberant naming convention comes from and the shout that you were giving it directly because, Mary, you also have a book with the word exuberant in that. Um, I'm just going to pass the baton because I know Marshall wanted to ask something, but maybe we can circle back to the concept of exuberance um, and maybe even just thread that into our conversation as we Always. go. Yay. Okay, Marshall, what, <laughs> what were you sitting on your hands and wanted to say? 
Oh, well, I have a preconceived notion and I also have just um, a real weird digression because I was a young man in San Francisco in the 80s and kind of um, lived in the South of Market through uh, and witnessed a lot of, um, you know, the flagging culture. But interestingly, it was the whole bandana thing was also part of a lot of urban formations like the Crips and the Bloods used bandanas. And so there was this whole interesting California culture uh, which comes from, you know, cowboys, people who rode horses, people who worked in agriculture. There was a utilitarian root of the bandana also. And I just thought it was interesting how a lot of um, these cultural icons have such an amazing impact and that we really only have explored the surface of them in terms of their interrelationship. Very similar to the way we've only really explored the surface of how other species interact with each other in terms of their flagging and signaling. But but I was really there was one point that I I I, I really love the origin story of this um, project, and um, we you know I think I've seen both in writing and then just now it's kind of like you, you mentioned this walking amongst the chanterelles and this little origin story, and I just wanted to hear more about that in terms of um, you know two folks walking in the woods amongst all these other species and kind of emotionally and personally just a, I'd just like to hear you sketch out a little bit more what that was like and how that you know how powerful that moment was and how it kind of catalyzed this rather large project that we're talking about here today well you know this is funny because we before we actually officially started this podcast, we were talking about astrology. And I was going to say that Mary and I are both fire signs. So I think that um, in our friendship and also in our working relationship, we get excited about doing things, about exploring ideas. And I think whenever we go out, we're like, oh, we could do this. Or should we throw a party? Um, should we have like a mushroom dinner party? And I, we've both just gotten... Um, really into foraging in the last couple of years. Um, you know, I know a lot of other people have, but the woods of Western Pennsylvania are just really magical. I think it's one of the things that kept me, has kept me in Pittsburgh for so long is just there's maitake, there's chanterelles. The woods are really special. And, and so I think it's my favorite thing to do with friends and especially other friends who are interested in foraging for mushrooms I think not as just a site for consumption but as a way to like really get to know the woods and get to know the species so I think we're always going out on these woods walks together and we're walking Mary's dog Perla who looks like a little white falcor dog and we're trying to identify species we're scheming ideas together and we're also collecting food for a meal together. So it's these things that really bring together, yeah, bring together a lot of things. Like maybe we're planning, I think on that particular day, we were planning a um, a mushroom dinner party together because we're always excited about kind of bringing together people and community. Um, and that's something we have in common. So I think we're like, cool, we'll gather mushrooms. Maybe 
We can invite our friend who's a mushroom fermenter to come and bring something. Maybe someone else will bring black trumpets and sort of like already envisioning um, a way to kind of bring together other friends who are queer artists, who are interested in the woods and learning about other species. And then instead of um, taking the shape and form of a dinner party, it began as an art project. And so I think um, that kind of just slipped in instead. It might have just been become a really fabulous um, monthly dinner party, but instead it became this really fabulous art project. Um, and it's interesting because actually that idea was began with another artist, our friend Dahlia Shevin, who's an amazing artist. And um, she'd been like, oh, we, let's do a bandana art show together. And we've been kicking the idea around for a while, but it wasn't till that moment walking in the woods that it came together. We're like, oh, we're going to do an art show about this, like a bandana art show about this, because it's going to bring together all of those things we were originally thinking about in terms of a dinner party, of bringing people together, bringing ideas together, bringing together these different areas of our lives that we're interested in and gathering people, um, gathering community, um, but in this other um, more dynamic context of an art show. Yeah. And I love um, this experience of like doing this kind of open call submission based art show, similar to doing a, you know, a submission based zine where you're putting out this idea of the theme, right? In this case, queer ecology hanky project um, and those intersections of all of those like thematic ideas and where they come together um, by putting that theme out there, you're really kind of creating a counter public around that idea, right? Around people that have those intersecting interests. Um, and as you were speaking about um, these different ways of coming together, Vanessa, it just has me thinking about, you know, your emphasis on the word ecology and community um, and just thinking about how a project can have its own ecology and like, okay, so Queer Ecology Hanky Project metaphorically is like, the mycelium that's then joining together all of these different ways that it fruits and emerges and emerges as exhibitions. It emerges as an artist's book, you know, exuberant possibilities. It can emerge as programming, you know, a hanky code dance party that happens at one of the shows. It can emerge as a podcast. So yeah, just thinking about, um, again, beyond a binary and an either or, or, um, even another thing that biological exuberance draws on is um, moving away from an idea of scarcity and exuberance is the opposite of that, right? So um, just having more more variation and more possibility just leads to like ever more possibility, you know, and having an art show with many people contributing to it then just leads to like more and more activation, you know, it kind of, it kind of moves like exponentially. Um, so that's, that's also just, building upon what Vanessa um, mentioned, um, that's part of what's exciting to me and what's exuberant to me um, about a project like this. Yeah, it's it's like creating a real queer multiverse, right? Uh, like a beautiful excess of queer possibility. Yes, beautiful excess. Yes, beautiful <laughs> Too excess. Too much is never enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm so glad you brought that back to the thing about ecology and what ecologies mean. Because as I was thinking about coming on this podcast, I was like, right. Like, I think when you think about the word ecology, you're like, this project is like reflecting on the community and like what's there, but also 
actively connecting the community, like a community. Um, the people in this project are DIY artists, academic artists, scientists, um, amateur mycologists, uh, zine fair people. It's like a really wide spectrum of different kinds of people who are interested in printmaking and ecology and also then people who aren't actively submitting to the project but are coming to events and it's connecting a really wide range of people and also building community which is why it's so cool to come on a podcast because I think then we're just like connecting these ideas with even more people and just building those links and connections yeah, yeah. just to build on that too I mean um, you're mentioning programming that um, that happened last summer when we created our exuberant possibilities book while doing um hosting a thematic residence at Eureka House. It was thematic residence around the Queer Ecology Hanky Project. So we were working on our book, but also hosting other artists that were part of the project. And they all led programming or worked on pages for the book. Um, and just thinking about putting out programming, putting out these events, you know, promoting them and all under the umbrella of Queer Ecology Hanky Project is just making different kinds of spaces for queer people to come together and be with each other, right? By just saying, okay, this is a queer, you know, fungal fermentation workshop or a queer plant walk or a queer, you know, block printing workshop. Um, so just thinking, also thinking through programming that happened at our Pittsburgh exhibition two years ago, February, 2020, the last <laughs> queer dance party many of us attended before the pandemic began. Um, but having different kinds of um, programming, different ways for people to be with the project, with the artwork, and also just to be with each other. You know, I think of that um, that month that we booked out in the Irma Freeman Center in Pittsburgh as just creating this TQZ, right? Temporary Queer Zone, creating a queer art space for a month, um, a queer social center for a month. Um, so I think that's something that the project can do. You know, it can like make these TQZs um, to have people find one another outside of spaces of like nightlife, which are kind of typically the spaces where you think of um, finding other queer people, the day life. <laughs> We're into the day life too. I, I just wanted to backtrack because not everybody will know about Eureka House. And I thought if you could, if you could describe that context, which is important, I think that would be of interest. Sure. Um, I can take a stab at that. Um, because I, I was, uh, I guess, first connected to Eureka a few months into its um, inception through our mutual friend, um, Kevin Kaplicki, who's a printmaker, a member of Just Seeds, who's also a farmer in upstate New York. Um, and he knew um, Sam, who organizes um, the, prod, the <laughs> not the Queer Ecology Hanky Project, the Eureka House. It's uh, an artist residency in um, a mansion, a historical mansion in Kingston, New York. Um, that is a very well-equipped publication studio, as well as like a screen printing studio, ceramic studio, and then just like spaces um, for people to do all kinds of work. Um, but I got connected there because the Center for Artistic Activism put a call out that they were looking for a printmaker in residence to help on some free the vaccine um, campaigns, and then also some um, voter engagement campaigns. So this was in um, fall 2020. Um, and so I got pulled in to do that work and, um, you know, it was maybe the third round of residents that Eureka had, they had just begun a few months before. Um, and it's small, you know, maybe five people can be there at a time. 
Um, but I was like, this resource is amazing. This space is beautiful. Um, and I just want to bring in more people that I know to do work here. So I pitched the idea of Queer Ecology Hanky Project coming the following summer um, to make an artist book. And then Sam was like, oh, you've already been here. Um, Sam Lieberman, sorry, is his last name. Um, do you guys want to host the residency for a month? We want to try out having other people be the hosts. And so we're like always like, yes, another project, another <laughs> way to be in the project. Sure. Yes, we'll take that on. Um, so I don't know if that, that's like enough context for it. It's very low profile. There's no website um, for it, um, but they do have an Instagram called Eureka Mindspace. Um, I actually just have a question about hankies and what your relationships are to hankies. Um, I know that you talked about them as being part of the queer or like the gay male flagging culture, but like, what do you, do you love hankies? Do you wear hankies? Did, were you wearing <laughs> hankies when you went to the woods that day and they like helped you <laughs> gather chanterelles and was it just kind of a utilitarian thing or did you guys have like a pre-existing relationship to hankies and maybe that's changed a little bit through the project and maybe like, you know, you're like I used to wear hankies, but like there's so many freaking hankies in my life. And like, I just don't want to put her on my neck anymore. Um, um, yeah. Where do you, where do you stand with hankies guys? I could start. Cause I have, I have a very long and rich relationship with hankies. <laughs> and I'll also say also like scarves, you know, like vintage, like silky or polyester scarves. I've been wearing them around my neck for a really long time. Um, and I started making um, animal themed bandanas kind of growing out of like gay pantheon, you know, of animals, um, after making a screen print on paper that was like, it said, let's go cruising. And it looked like a bumper sticker with a bear on it. But then there was also like, a, you know, a design I made of a hanky that was just all bears. And so I made this poster on paper. And then a friend was like, maybe you should make the actual bandana that's on that poster. And I was like, yes, cool. And then we'll do these other like gay pantheon animals, you know, like otters or we had like an up the wolf dykes dance party. So I made like wolf bandanas for that. Um, when I moved to Canada for grad school, we had like a um, Canadian realness um, <laughs> dance party. And I made like beaver bandanas for that. Um, so I don't know. I've been like. I've been into wearing scarves and bandanas for, I don't know, like probably like 15, 20 years and then like printing bandanas that I've designed for over a decade. Um, so I don't know. I just I really find a lot of pleasure in like drawing and designing bandanas um, and they are super utilitarian. And I often have one with me when I'm out in the woods, as well as a pocket full of poop bags if I'm being a responsible dog owner. <laughs> so if you do find something that you want to pick up, if you find some mushrooms or cool, you know, plants out in the woods, you have a way to carry them home. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I'll stop there. Maybe Vanessa wants to talk about their relationship to this object, too. Well, funny enough, before this project, Mary and I collaborated on it hanky together right mary wasn't it before the queer ecology hanky it project? was so. it's true we made an edible um mushroom hanky shortly after we moved into a shared studio at babyland which is was a collective art space here in pittsburgh which is now defunct um but we made that collaboration which is probably another little seed of this project um, but I, I don't wear hankies like, uh, no, 
it's just not part of like my personal fashion lexicon, but I have, I use hankies sort of for two main purposes in my life. And I think it's actually kind of a parallel to the project uh, for like sort of like fetish usage and then like practical woods usage. I think because of the like erotic uh, associations with hankies, perhaps I use them to like tie up all my sex toys and dildos. You're like, oh, they're just protected in my shelf in the closet with some bandanas. They're not getting dusty. So I've got like a little beautiful hanky bundle of dicks. And then I always bring them with me to the woods to tie up my mushrooms. Love it. I love it. So I'm like Boy Scout at home, Boy Scout in the woods. Do you bring that bundle of dicks to the woods sometimes too? Or is that too personal? I don't know. I like a bundle. Bundle of dicks. No more bad dicks. A bundle. I mean, no, it's a bundle. Speaking of bundles of dicks in the woods, it's almost morel season. One of the most phallic oh of all the mushrooms. Wow. So stoked. Yummy. Can't wait. Okay. Like I want to go back to this idea of like 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 this project called your life. And it's only because I'm like using the part of my brain that's like, okay, well, what is it still? Like, what is it? You know, and and part of that is like it doesn't have a website meaning like there's no queerhankyproject.com. There is an Instagram account, and you can find both of you have your own websites. And so there's like we do some... have a we do have a site for the project though. <gasps> you do? Okay, I'm so sorry. I am not that's a good okay. Googler. Then it's low key. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what's the what's the URL? We'll just say it right now. It's uh yeah, it's hankyexhibit.bigcartel.com. Um we created it when we were doing some like um mutual aid fundraising um in summer 2020 with hankies from the project that we were raffling for some um like land and housing projects that centered um black and indigenous BIPOC folks. Um so we made it just as like a a site to sell like raffle tickets but then it's also a landing pad with like info about the project and we're working on building that out a bit more too even in like the name of the book you know exuberant possibilities it's just um hopefully just demonstrating a bunch of expansiveness right um and capaciousness and i always i love um i feel like Laverne Cox coined this term of possibility model rather than role model. And I just like love that. And I worked with teams for a long time um, at the Andy Warhol Museum here in Pittsburgh. And just like a big crux of like doing youth art programming was just just like bringing a bunch of possibilities in front of like young people, you know, and like not being like, this is the way this is the coolest possibility, but just showing them a bunch of different possibilities, a bunch of different possibility models. And then you can see what sticks, but just like exposing people to, to some exuberant possibilities, um, I think is like a big point of the project. Um, and I just feel a lot of the work I do, be it like DJ and organizing events or making like printed objects that people can use to flag to one another or just for visibility. It's all about like making space for connection and like thinking about different ways that that can happen. Um, but I do think, you know, if you want to get down to like the political moment that we're in right now, you know, I feel uh, <laughs> as far as like trying to like legis legislate gay people out of existence, um, biological exuberance just, you know, makes this super compelling, strong counter argument of like the naturalness of homosexuality and queerness. You know, there's just like no denying it, you know, if you read that book. Um, so how could you say that it does not exist? 
Yeah, maybe Vanessa, you could comment. And then I, I'm curious after that, if you could, um, there were some instances of like uh, queer ecology that I noted from some of the book that I wondered if you guys could um, talk about, but I can sort of frame that up after you're done yeah, with your comment. Of course. Yep. Yeah. I think just a couple of things um, about possibility modeling and then also about the political implications of the work. Mary and I talked at um, the Mid-American, no, Mid-Atlantic Print Conference, I think a year and a half ago, um, during a program about queer archives, a panel about that. And it really struck me um, how much the project resonated with young artists and undergraduates who maybe were confused about how not seeing themselves in the art world. And I think that's something about the project that I find really beautiful um, and I'm excited about. It's like another way of being an artist. You're like, yeah, you can be a weird, freaky homosexual making bandana art. And like, there's a lot of meaning in the, like, there. it's just like another way. It's not like a traditional way of maybe being an artist. You're not just having um, normal gallery shows. Um, it's an unusual path and an unusual project. And I think, um, yeah, it was I, people who were younger artists, I think were really interested and inspired to see sort of just like another way of being an artist in the world. Um, so that was really meaningful to sort of put that possibility out there. But then I just wanted to touch back about the political nature of the work. And I think, Monica, this is going to tie back into some specific instances of the project. Um, just one of the most important thing about this project is just um, envisioning possibilities and specifically using sort of all of the beautiful and myriad examples from queer ecology to sort of really help us think through this political moment and also hopefully envision ways to transform and transcend. Thinking about all the anti-trans legislation, there's just so many artists who sort of like took a direct look at transness and liminality in the natural world. Um, a couple different artists looked at the work of Merlin Sheldrake, who wrote the book Entangled Life just one of my favorite books and there's an amazing quote in there that says fungi are body in motion because um, mycelium doesn't have a set form it grows or changes and shifts direction completely radically altering its form based on food or threat and so you can have two different clumps of the same kind of mycelium which is the sort of like spongy white thread-like body of the fungus that grows underground below the mushroom if there are mushrooms um, and if you had two identical clumps of that of the same kind of species they could look completely different um, and also that they are just constantly shape-shifting and transforming and that's just one example of how transformation is just like the natural order of things and such an important and core part of being alive and so thinking about all this legislation that is afraid of transformation or that sees transformation or shape-shifting as unnatural as threatening and I think there's a lot of people scholars and also artists um, looking to that and several artists in the book um, made work sort of about these liminal states states of shape-shifting 
fungi and other different um like butterflies who are gynomorphs someone's gonna have to look up how to say that word but um there's just an incredible amount of um shape-shifting and transformation that happens and really gives us like windows to the future um one of our artist collaborators who's actually part of our studio Devin Cohen made an incredible piece about slime mold so did um Jack Groves um because there are these incredible small unicellular organisms that um can live on their own as just their own little free-floating unicellular organism but also can uh, join together to form these complex organisms of thousands of these little unicellular organisms and they solve mazes. They do all these incredible tasks because joining together allows them to do that. Um, and so, you know, lichens also, they're a complex uh, organism made up of um, bacteria and yeast and fungi that can break apart and do their own thing. But coming together allows them to harness the metabolic energy of each one of those things and do incredible things and live in extreme environments, you know, be flown out of the space into outer space and survive. Um, and a lot of people think that the original life origins of Earth were based on these lichen-like organisms. And the only reason they could survive was through that collaborative, collective relationship. So I think there's all these different artists who are looking for these different ways of possibility, looking for visions that we can kind of inspire us for the future um, to get past this current political state that we're in. So that's beautiful. I, I also want to add to Vanessa that I, when I, I read the essay that you had written within this book and a couple of my notes that I loved the most were about the relationship between queer phobia and mycophobia, which is, you know, yes. myco like uh, mushroom fear of mushrooms, <laughs> which I hadn't heard yes. of in name, but just that, um, you know, what you've been saying, like, that there are ways to learn from the behaviors and survival tactics of mushroom mushrooms, um, particularly how to survive hostile and toxic environments, yes. and um, and also the nature of where mushrooms and queer people, queer culture thrives, which is at the margins. I just thought some of those observations in your essay really pulled me in and made me want to ask more about maybe, I don't know if it's like really boils down to what have you learned about how to survive in hostile and toxic environments yes. from mushrooms, but maybe there is something you'd like to share. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to shout out, um, oh goodness, what's, I wanted to be like the mycophobia, um, that connection, I just want to specifically name uh, Patricia Kaishan and uh, their article, The Science Underground Mycology as a Queer Discipline. It's super cool. Highly recommend reading it. Um, I think what I've learned about survival and fungi, um, a couple things. Um, I think that fungi make me feel positive about our possibilities in the future. Um, there's a really beautiful book by Anna Singh, The Mushroom at the End of the World, on the possibility of life in capitalist ruins. And 
that book, I think, thinks a lot about sort of the perils of purity or seeking out purity culture and how much beauty and possibility exists in these imperfect, possibly polluted, um, imperfect environments. And that gives me a lot of peace to think about um, the mycological communities that are thriving in these states of ruin and the states of our capitalist ruins. Um, So one thing is just to have hope based on how much beauty does take place in these environments. And then also just um, really finding ways to act as a collective. Um, And again, it's like I feel optimistic when I think about lichen and fungi because these aren't utopias um merlin sheldrake writes really beautifully about lichen it's not like a perfect utopian relationship it's more like a band that um has squabbles and maybe some stress but also goes on to put on a beautiful concert because everyone is really has their own beautiful thing that they do so i think it's like i'm like i have to find it's important to find your people who have those different um, metabolically compatible skills so you can work collectively and do something amazing, um, which is one of the reasons why I like working with Mary because I feel like we have different but complementary skills that allow us to do something much more complicated and larger than something we could do on our own. Um, but yeah, I think that was a bit of a um, rambling, rambling thing, like staying positive on all the beauty that happens in these places of ruins and also finding the ways to make collectives work because collective work can also be really hard and challenging but beautiful things can come out of it so yeah yeah hearing you speak about that Vanessa I just keep thinking Pittsburgh Pittsburgh (laughs) because Pittsburgh is you know (laughs) this beautiful ruin with like nature taking over I'm looking out the window in my backyard at all like the deer like you know roaming through the backyard um eating things um and you know thinking about bioremediation too um i haven't read the those books that vanessa is naming but thinking of like um fantastic fungi and how you know you can use mushrooms to clean up like human-made toxic materials that's also a place of hope even though i'm also like (laughs) humans made these terrible environmental messes and (laughs) Why do the mushrooms have to clean up after us? But <laughs> um, it is something that gives me hope. And even thinking about like a post-human world too, um, which is like a darkness and a light simultaneously, I think. Um, but back to Pittsburgh, you know, I've been living in this place on and off for 25 years. Um, and the coming together collectively and doing things together um, and that spirit here. Um, and because it has gentrified a lot and gotten more expensive to be here, but there's still all these little pockets, um, you know, of underused spaces, um, you know, places along the river, abandoned structures, man-made structures, um, places where you can make some really magical things happen together. Um, that's kind of what's kept me here for so long. Um, and I just feel like that, that kind of energy reflects back, you know, in and out of, um, the Queer Ecology Hanky Project. Are there any other projects or programming that's could be happening in the future for the Queer Ecology Hanky Project? We would love to show it in more places that are further away from Pittsburgh. I mean, we dream of showing it on the West Coast or in Canada or in Mexico. We do have artists from those places that are in the project. 
Um, so I would just put out there if this sounds interesting to you and maybe you have space and resource to host us, give us a holler. Well, our thinking is that, you know, most of the people who care about Brooklyn or listen to us um, are on university and um, like university campuses all across the country. And those places have galleries. So if if you are a librarian or somebody uh, who knows us or who doesn't know us, you can certainly contact us and we can thread that communication to Vanessa and Mary because I can't think of a better place for this to go than at an educational campus in a library, right? Definitely. Yeah. You know, I think... I think earlier you asked a question specifically about like who who is this information like sort of useful for in terms of academic curriculum and that kind of ties in with what you're saying now about libraries and going to universities and I just want to say that I think like um like both looking at, in the emergent field of uh queer ecologies but also just sort of like um looking at LGBTQ archives because I think at its core, this project sort of gives you a snapshot of what this community of artists, like how they sort of see themselves in this moment, because um, so many of the pieces are self-reflective and sort of exploring artists' own identities. And like, I would love to look, if I had like a portal where I could go back and be like, cool, what were gay and lesbian artists in the 70s? How did they envision themselves in terms of like a box of hankies where they explored their identities through like animal and plant kin. And I think that's would be such an incredible like snapshot of that time. And I think likewise, this project sort of gives, gives you like a small snapshot of where like a hundred artists sort of like see themselves in this moment and see their communities um, and see sort of like their desires. I think a lot of them, were about their desires for community, like even if they weren't having them in this moment, like several artists made hankies about sort of like cross-pollination and desire for sort of like collaborative queer community. Like Andrea Narno and Claire Raglan both made these specific pieces about different symbiotic relationships between snails and this tiny plant or between um, a moth and the agave flowers and hummingbirds and lupines. But they were all sort of like envisioning and desiring this sort of like cross-pollinating queer community. So, yeah, embedded in a lot of these hankies are people's identities and desires. And I think that just provides a really interesting window into where the sort of like expansive queer and trans community is at. But we do have another project um, at the forefront in the near future, which is creating a box set of um, this Queer Ecology Hanky Project um, for Brooklyn Yay. that will include um, some of the physical bandanas of the project, as well as the book, as well as a bunch of ephemera posters and other ephemera from the project, which we're we hoping to put wait. together later this year, maybe for release in Yay. the fall. And also our um, Hanky Project collaborator, Corinne Teed, who has a really interesting piece in the book about um, microbes and queer ecology. Um, they're going to be hopefully organizing a queer and trans ecology symposium um, where sort of like artists, writers and academics and intellectuals are 
and talk about some of these ideas. So that will also be on the future radar, just continuing to dive in and unpack so many of these amazing ideas. I mean, one thing, I, I, I think that there's a lot of bracketing around the word queer, which I think is a, a one mm -hmm. lens of the project. But I also think what's amazing to me is from the ecology side, uh, it seems like a lot of what you both have been talking about is it's kind of an almost a, a program of decolonization of nature itself, which I think mm -hmm. is really interesting. Yes. And I wanted to mention that both in the light of like animal liberation as well as LGBTQ plus liberation and all kinds of you know human rights movements. And there, I don't know if you've heard that there's a very interesting thing going on at the Bronx Zoo where a legal team is filing to give one of the elephants their uh, habeas corpus writ so that they can move the elephant to a sanctuary. If the judge gives them this writ, and the elephant get mo gets moved, what's interesting about it is the moving to the sanctuary is, is almost kind of um, the Trojan horse, but it means that the elephant has personhood. And in, in American and British common law, animals are things, like only corporations, human species, and certain other like social designations have human rights or an actual personhoods in the United States, animals don't. So I, I think there's an interesting correlation to like in the same way that, you know, enslaved people weren't persons, Native Americans weren't persons, uh, queer people weren't persons under actual law. So now those liberation movements have extended into environmentalism and now in a more even sophisticated way into ecology. And it is bringing up these very existential kind of issues, which I think, you know, the, the, the Henke project brings up these issues in some very personal material and tactile ways. And so, um, I was, I was kind of laughing when Monica was asking me like, you know, the, what is the point of it question? And I just kept on thinking all the people who always look at me and say things like, well, what are the deliverables here? And, um, I thought that there, That's true. That, that there are so many deliverables <laughs> here that appeal to so many audiences that, you know, these are the really crucial issues because while we're all involved in decolonization and liberation movements, um, it's sort of not about just us humans anymore. Like, you know, these relationships mm -hmm. that you guys are drawing between, you know, um, that the, uh, non-human species and ourselves kind of all point out the fact that, you know, we all need liberation from, you know, the animals need liberation from this mm -hmm. stuff. We need liberation from this stuff. It's, it's kind of, um, a mutual journey that we're all on with sort of whether we acknowledge it or not. And, and I, I love that issue of you're constantly underlining, you know, however you want to talk it, connectivity, resonance, you know, intersectionality, uh, ecology. And I, and I think that it gives a great deal of exuberance to the project and rightly stated. Mm. So thanks. I wanted to thank you for your work. I, I really love that. Yeah. I love that so much. Cause I think, thank you for bringing that up. Cause I, one of the 
main points about queer ecology is just bringing center stage the more than human world and just shifting that focus. So I'm so glad you brought that up. And I just made me think of this one particular artist's work who I just wanted to highlight, who is um, Sarah McDermott, who also goes by Kemlon, made this really beautiful hanky piece about mussels and other shellfish um, from the Ohio River. So it's sort of um, instead of like this idea of manifest destiny, the hanky sort of proposed an idea of manifest reversal and imagined a time when the Ohio River would be liberated from the bonds of the levee and all of the different species of mussels and clams that would thrive there that had previously thrived there before it was um, before its course was cemented into place. Um, so that just really specifically uh, sort of spoke back to what you're saying about um, decolonization and the land and the language that we use to talk about things. And it's one of the um, most exciting parts of the project and also reminded me of one of the challenges of this project, which I just wanted to speak out loud is that there are so many interesting ideas. And I know that seems like a silly challenge, but it's like finding space to talk about all the different exciting elements that artists are bringing to this project is actually really hard. And that was one of the motivations for making a book. And after we finished the book, I was like, cool, we're going to have to make another book. <laughs> because, That's always, always. Yeah, always. I was like, we're going to have to make another book. Just the tip, Please you know, um, accompanying the project. Yeah, we have a beautiful packet of statements and writing by the artists. And I know some people sit down to read those, but also it's a lot because there's 115 artists in the project 116 and there's so much beautiful material there and ideas and exciting possibilities and I think that's really the challenge is just um, uplifting those ideas bringing them to the forefront sharing them um, connecting those ideas to people and spreading them and just making space for them because there's a lot of exciting ground to cover um, and so finding the space to um to really make for all those different ideas. And I'm glad we got to touch on some of them today. And there are so many more we could talk about. So that's always a challenge, but a good challenge, I think. Yeah. Going back to the visual of Vanessa and Mary in the forest, uh, looking for chanterelles and identifying that in this moment that's sort of pandemic influenced. I think that is a very strong cultural moment that a lot of people um, revisited during the pandemic, which is that the forest really provides the protection for a lot of us um, and provides safety that's been true since humans have existed. And also you can't care for things that you aren't in relationship with. And so part of my own pandemic experience with the woods is understanding that having the relationship with the living things that are mm, off the grid, you know, that haven't really been put into the X and Y axis of things that are growing wildly um, forces the acknowledgement that they need our protection too. And so there's kind of a circuitous mm, 
relationship that happens where you find the forest in moments where you need protection, whether it's something like forest bathing <laughs> or if it's nutrients, you know, that you can get from wild mushrooms um, and things like that. Or if it's just to find a quiet place that feels safe um, to put your thoughts in order so that you can address the rest of the world. Um, but being there puts you in a relationship with those things. And then you realize how much they need our protection and advocacy and space provided for them to live and breathe. And so um, that just feels like a very broadly and deeply urgent relationship to build. Um, and that is the end of my thought. Well, I, I just wanted to, um, well, thank everybody because it was really fabulous listening to you all. And I wanted to remind people that the books Exuberant Possibilities and Exuberant Resilience are available through Bookland at bookland.org. And that we are very excited about the Queer Ecology Hanky Project, which is going to be this fabulous box set of all kinds of different materials, which is just going to be like a complete toolbox for queer ecology consciousness. Mary, I'll let, we'll let you go and okay. Vanessa too. I think we're pretty much okay, done. Okay, great. We're perfect. Loved, loved it. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs> this podcast was made possible in part by funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs and in partnership with the City Council and from individual donors to Bookland Inc. You can support this podcast by making a donation at bookland.org slash donate.